Well, please have that passage in Galatians open in front of you in our text. Verse 9, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Now, as we come to the end of this year, I want to encourage myself, really, and also encourage you to press on into the new year in doing what the Lord has given us to do. It's easy for us, you know, to become weary. It's easy for us to begin to lose that spiritual energy, as it were. And so we need to be reminded this morning of where the refreshment lies and what we should look to, but also to look at the causes of why we get weary at times. Now, just to give an introduction to this letter, in the church of Galatia, there was a a great problem. They were sliding back from the gospel and going right back into legalism. Teaching was coming into the church, which was saying that a person could not be saved without these additional things, such as being circumcised or keeping the law. And so the Apostle Paul has to write in a very strong manner to resist that teaching and to warn the people against it and really to defend the gospel of sovereign grace. And sadly, my friends, you know, this danger is again present with us. You would be shocked, maybe some of you are aware of some of the teachings that we find across the Atlantic, even on our own shores in churches that have previously been strong in gospel truth and yet now are beginning to deviate and to bring certain things in which really undermine the gospel of grace. And if not lose it altogether, many other things being added and ensnaring many. And it's interesting because if you look at verse 6, Paul has written this letter by his own hand. You say, well, why is that important? Well, verse 11, see with what large letters I've written to you with my own hand. Now, that is unusual because he usually would dictate the letters to someone who wrote everything down and then they would circulate the letters. But this is actually handwritten by Paul himself. And no doubt it was because he was stirred with with indignation at the thought of the gospel being attacked by this error. Now, when it comes to the letter itself, it can be easily divided into two parts. In the first half of this letter to the Galatians, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes, as we said, in the strongest terms against the false teaching that is coming in to the church and is no gospel at all. And so he reiterates and proves from Scripture that the message is and always has been salvation by faith. Salvation by faith in Christ, by grace alone. You know, we've looked in previous times about how the work of Jesus is not only applied forward to all his people that there would ever be, but also in backwards in time throughout the Old Testament. Jesus is the only Savior. He is the only Redeemer, and without him, none of us have any hope. There is only one way of salvation, by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. And also, you need to understand, there's not one way to be saved in the Old Testament, and then a different way to be saved in the New. That would be two different Gospels. We're saved by looking back to the first coming of Christ, who died on the cross, bearing the sins of his people, And in the Old Testament, they simply looked ahead to the coming of Christ. We all meet at the foot of the cross. And that's why you see that emphasis as Paul draws the letter together. He says, verse 14, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we go into this new year, we need to be reminded of that. 
We glory in nothing but in the cross and the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's the focus. We must never lose sight of that. It's Christ alone, faith alone in him. You know, an empty hand, as it were, receiving all the fullness of righteousness which he brings to sinners like us. And so that is laid out. And then in the second part of the letter, having underlined the great truths of the gospel, Paul addresses some practical issues that flow out of that. Now, it's essential. You see, because when doctrine goes wrong and error comes in, the consequence is that bad practice also comes in. What we do follows what we believe. And so when the truth of the gospel is right and applied, then the hope and expectation is that God-honoring, Christ-honoring living will follow. But when error is embraced, you find that the quality and the maturity of those who profess faith declines. And so one of these challenges, one of the bad practices is found in our text, let us not grow weary whilst doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And you say, well, where's the problem? Well, there is a real problem for believers here. Let us not grow weary whilst doing good. And so this is obviously a challenge to the believers, otherwise you would never have mentioned it. You say, well, what's the problem? Well, the problem is this. There are times when as believers we feel weary and tired of going on in the Lord's work. In fact, it's a very common problem. And it's something we can all be susceptible to in connection with serving the Lord in his course. You know, maybe we just feel tired because we give out so much and constantly face with not seeing very much fruit. And the temptation then is just to slowly decline and, and slip away and step back and withdraw. And Paul is addressing this weariness in well-doing. And your friends, I thank God for those amongst you who are steadfast and faithful and solid in the work and at the means of grace, faithful amongst the Lord's people, faithful at home, faithful in prayer and service, but even the most faithful amongst us can feel this temptation at times, and we grow tired. And I would venture as far as to say that it is a problem which is widespread amongst believers across the UK today and hitting us hard. You know, if you were to visit different gospel churches, as I have the privilege of doing from time to time, you would see and feel at times in the services or in the prayer meetings or in the fellowships, many are weary in well-doing. And you say, well, why is that the case? Why is there this weariness? Well, let me give you some suggestions. One suggestion is the sheer decline and wickedness of society all around us. The increasing wickedness that we see all around us in the countries of whole and beyond. And when the Lord's people see the situation that they're in, drifting or really speeding into such immorality and depravity and corruption and paganism and anti-gospel agendas, it can just be very discouraging to the Lord's people. You know, we hear the latest tragedy or the latest outrage or the passing of a law to permit wicked practices or injustices, and it's hard to bear. Wearies us. There are times where we can just feel as though, you know, everything is against us and we've just had enough. You know, the, the darkness is just too much. And then another reason is the troubles and difficulties connected to the work of God in churches. 
For instance, when errors come in, when false doctrines get into the church and into the pulpit, when things are taught, which you never expected to be taught in places and churches that you expected. Churches, you know, they split and there's animosities and there's divisions and people who, you know, profess the Lord, they rise up against issues that should never be issues and there's all manner of trouble. And connected to that, you just have the decline of gospel churches. When churches suffer a visible decline and it just appears though things are at such a low ebb and there's a lack of gospel power. When fewer converted to faith in Christ, when there appears to be no evident working of the, the Spirit of God that we can see. And as I said, churches turn away from the gospel, embrace the world in desperation. And all of these things are of such a nature that they can weigh us down like a burden upon our souls. And the consequence is that we grow tired of seeking to do that which is right before the Lord, to be faithful to Scripture, to do the good things. Let me give you another suggestion. Comparisons with the past. You know, for those who are a little older, they compare the present state with the past and can become discouraged because they've known better days. You know, they, they've seen blessing. They've seen interest in the gospel. You know, they, they knew a time when there was regular conversions and churches were growing and there was interest in the truth of God. And, you know, they saw new missionary endeavors and, and gospel endeavors and rediscoveries of the gospel of grace. And there was times of dynamism and life. And when we look today at many of our churches and see that that is no longer true on the whole, there is a danger of becoming weary and despising the present. You know, the past can also be viewed with such rose-tinted glasses that all the hardships and the challenges and the afflictions and the mistakes and the troubles that did exist then are also just overlooked. You know, there's a picture of this, by the way, in Ezra 3. It's a very striking picture. The people of God had been in captivity in Babylon for 70 years, and yet now the Lord had brought them out and some had returned and they were laying the foundation of the second temple. And uh, the old temple that Solomon had built had been totally destroyed by the Babylonians. It was literally a scene of rubble and ruin. The whole nation had to be rebuilt. But the temple was a priority because at that time it was the place where God was to be worshipped. And so they laid the foundation. And in Ezra 3, you can read it if you wish later. All the people, they come to see the beginnings of this new temple. Now when the younger generation come they see it and they they lift up their voices and they shout for joy why because they've been in captivity and it's a new start it's a new work and they they see this opportunity that God had brought them out and he was a new work to be done and it was underway but the older generation came along and they looked and they wept with bitter tears and you say well why did they do that it was because it looked so poor compared with the temple that they had known in their early childhood all those years ago. You know, so there is this picture, the conflict of perspective. But it can be wearying if the past is always used to crush the present rather than inspire. You know, and I really appreciate the honesty of Paul in this text. You know, see how he includes himself. Verse 9, he says, let us not grow weary. You know, he includes himself. Let us 
He puts himself there and all the, of the Lord's people have known what it is to be weary in well-doing at one stage or the other. You know, you think of Abraham, how God promised him, you know, an heir and a son. And you know what you think, how many years did he have to wait for the fulfillment of the promise? What happened? He became impatient. He grew weary in waiting and saw uh, the encouragement to those around him. He took matters into his own hands. He, he sought his own solution in another woman called Hagar. And despite Hagar bearing a son Ishmael, he would not be the heir. His actions had serious consequences, which are still seen today, by the way. God would give Abraham a son and heir, but it would be at the right time, even when Abraham thought it was impossible. Oh, you know, you think of Israel going through the wilderness. Forty years they would be wandering before they reached the promised land. What happened? They grew weary and they began to complain. And they turned against Moses and against Aaron. And ultimately they complained against the Lord. And, you know, they wanted to go back to Egypt. You know, remember the food and the leeks and the onions and all the garlic, etc. They wanted to go back. Conveniently forgetting what it was actually like. You know, their imagination painted this picture of their bondage in Egypt was, was very far removed. You know, they forgot the oppression. They forgot the slavery and the beatings and the unrealistic targets and the hardships and the murder of their little boys. They had a selective imagination. Why? Because they were weary and well-doing, even the best of their people. You know, maybe we feel like that today. The end of a busy season the end of another year. Maybe we're tired like this. It's not uncommon amongst the Lord's people. And so this is why this text is so timely for us, encouraging us. So it's a problem, but it's also a danger. And I want to just mention this before we look at the encouragement. Weariness is a problem, but we need to see that there are dangers that come with being weary and well-doing. Every temptation in life can lead to harm and to spiritual damage and hurt. This is no exception. You know, what happens to professing believers when they become weary in doing the right things and the good things? Well, this is what happens. They begin to long for and drift into the world. Their eyes begin to wander. And the world begins to look ever much, you know, so much more appealing than it did. You know, they want to live as the world and have the things of the world and keep the cause of Christ at a distance. And when people grow tired of the means of grace and of being with the Lord's people and being together in prayer, when these things are no longer attractive to them, so the world and its ways and its priorities begins to sparkle all that little bit more. You know, when Bibles seem to be stale, when sermons seem to have no noticeable benefit, they begin to look beyond the things of God and back to the world and they begin to reason. Well, you know, the, the world is actually not too bad. It's a better place than I thought it was, you know. You know, they've got it right. There's no harm in it. You know, God didn't put us into this world to be miserable. And so what's wrong with enjoying the here and now? What's wrong with putting myself and, and my happiness and my leisure above the cause of God? And as soon as people are weary with the things of God, grow tired of godliness and holiness, one way or another, they make their way back to the world. You know, why is it that some... You know, professing Christians simply cool off and disappear. Why do they drop off and go back into the world? They grew tired of well-doing, grew tired of the things of God. And linked into what we've been saying already, they begin to glorify the past 
in their imagination. There is a romanticizing of previous times, easy to do. You know, I, I do dip in from time to time a few pages on social media with things to remember from the 80s and 90s, my younger days and childhood, etc. It's easy to get all nostalgic and to remember those good things. You know, Scripture is very clear. It warns us against having a false view of the past. You know, Eddie's been going through Ecclesiastes, and in Ecclesiastes 7, earlier this year, we came across this verse, verse 10. Do not say, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. You know, the former times were better in some ways, but they were much worse in others. Every generation has great things and not so great things. Every age has some things which are better and some things which are worse. But each one of us, this might be a shock to you, is called to live now for this time. And we have to remind ourselves that the Lord has set us here and we must be careful not to pine for former days or just romanticize the past. And also another outworking of this weariness is they begin to grumble against God. When we grow weary in well-doing, it's so easy for us as believers to begin to grumble against the Lord. Now, we might not let anybody else hear it, but we do it secretly in our hearts. And we begin to think, why has God not done the things that I wanted to say? Why is he not doing the things that I have asked of him? And we can begin to, to quarrel with the Lord. Now, of course, there's a way in which we can pray to God to move and act and intervene to do the thing which is right. We can set those biblical arguments before the Lord and, and plead with the Lord and wrestle in that sense. But we have to be very careful not to cross the line, which means we begin to complain against God and to grumble secretly and to repine in our hearts against him and to think that he is a hard master. And also, another outworking is they begin to do less and less. When we become weary and well-doing, we tend to lose heart, and so we limit ourselves, we draw back. We're active in other things that we want to do, but not so much connected to serving the Lord. Everything connected with serving Him, too much trouble for us. What's the good of this? What's the good of that? What's the point in having family worship? What's the point of singing with the Lord's people? What's the point in gathering with a group of people on the Lord's day? You know, twice? You know, what, what's the point? Why don't we just, you know, go on with the world and off with the Bible, with the things of God? My dear friends, this is what has happened to hundreds of people around us and, you know, maybe many more beyond. It's difficult. Weariness. It is a real problem. It is a real danger. But here's the encouragement. Paul gives us the refreshing balm that we need, the medicine to this spiritual malady. And he mentions a promise and a humbling reminder to help us to keep going, to not give up, to be faithful and steadfast in doing what pleases the Lord. What's the promise? We shall reap if we don't lose heart. The blessing will come What's the reminder? In due season. In other words, the time and season belong to the sovereign, sublime, blessed Lord God. He is the one who ordains the time of blessing. That's not for us. 
Our responsibility is to be faithful and to know that we shall reap if we don't lose heart. You know, it's not for us to complain against the fact that we live in an aboundingly evil, discouraging, and difficult day. You know, there have been other such days in plenty of the history of God's people. You know, now it's not for us to complain against that. You know, when it seems that God is taking too long to fulfill his promises, you know, in this situation, we must not lose hope. Generation after generation, he's proven to be faithful. You know, we we looked over this Christmas season, the faithfulness of the Lord in sending his son, the Lord Jesus, you know, when the fullness of time had come at the right time, the fulfiller of every promise came. We can rest in his constancy. He will do what he has said and we can trust him. We are to press on, looking to the Lord. And we need to be aware that there are ebbs and flows in the history of the church. You know, you look back over church history, the progress of the work of God is not just a constant straight line. You know, that's not the way. There are ups and downs, there are ebbs and flows, there is great blessing, and then there's declension, there's refreshing, and then there's dryness. That's the way it has been and most likely ever will be. Times of great growth and advance, times of slowness and decline. All of this happening at different stages around the world. And the Lord's people are to be faithful in all seasons, through all the ebbs and flows. Let me give you some examples. Think of the Reformation. You know, such a period of darkness leading up to that time with only glimpses of gospel light leading up to this great movement of God. And it was unlikely that Luther really anticipated all that would follow in the nailing of those 95 theses on the, the church door in 1517. But God has his times and his seasons and the time was right for a, a great shaking and breaking into the gospel, a day of rottenness and depravity that God was going to overcome. God's time had come, and it will be a time of great reaping for his glory. Or you think later on, the Great Awakening, America, become independent in the 1770s. It was a critical time in the history of that land, but it was a terrible time morally. You know, the Puritan truth and practice that had been brought to the land by those early fathers was in deep decline. You know, French philosophy and deism and atheism and immorality were rife. The church was struggling. The leaders like George Washington and others in the nation, they were fearful for the future of that infant American nation, and it seemed like there was no hope. But then, 1780s, believers were moved to pray together in these little groups for God to intervene and to help them. And by God's grace, these little pockets of believers, hoping against hope, pleaded with God to pour out his spirit. And in due time, the Lord appeared for them. And in the 1790s, a spiritual momentum came over the eastern states and people began to be converted and churches were spiritually awakened and there were tears of repentance and renewed seeking of the Lord and the move of God began to spread across the land, even to those on the frontiers. And things continued into the early 1800s and God was doing a great work amongst the people and the the gospel was impacting many and it was known as the land of the scriptures. The Lord blessed. Dryness, blessing, faithfulness running through. That's the challenge. 
You know, I was reading recently of God's work in Scotland over on this side of the Atlantic. You know, let me mention one particular instance. You know, that which was happening in America also saw spiritual life ignite over here, 1830s. You know, the people of God were awakened to seek the Lord and there was a, a great interest in the gospel and world missions. And in the summer of 1839, a man called William Chalmers Burns, who was a minister's son, came to old special meetings and he preached on this text, thy people shall be winning in the day of thy power. And as he told the congregation of the great work of God, you know, he felt his own soul so moved that he began to plead with the people to turn to the Lord and to seek the Lord. And the people, as they were listening with intense attention and solemn concern, were moved so that many sought the Lord. And it began to occur more often and meetings were met with the power of God and the gospel churches knew a renewed purpose and perspective and power and urgency. And you know, in Kilsyth, the parish minister rejoiced as 12,000 flocked to the town to attend upon the means of grace and to be under the word of God. You know, Robert Murray McShane, he'd been in the Holy Land, he returned to Scotland, and when he came back to his congregation in Dundee, there was a spiritual life and vitality that had arisen. You know, there had been these gospel meetings for three months in Kilsyth, which had seen many converted and those spiritually backslidden turned from their waywardness, and the people had been moved to seek the Lord, and when he returned, he found that there were 39 prayer meetings in that congregation alone taking place. You know, McShane said the number of saved souls was far beyond his knowledge. And it was not an isolated occurrence either. It was happening elsewhere. But amongst these times, there was times of slowness and hardness and decline and trouble. And it was and is as important to be faithful in those times as in the times of blessing. To continue to do faithfully that which the Lord has given us to do with all our might, looking to him and trusting that in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. And that's the challenge for us. That's where we are. And it's not easy. And there are times, I've mentioned it before, where we can feel like the, the prophet Habakkuk, oh Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear, even cry out to you violence and you won't save? Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? You know, things were difficult. There were many problems amongst the Lord's people. Seemed to be no prospect of change. It seemed as though God wasn't intervening. It would have been easy just to give up. Why, Lord? And Habakkuk took his pleadings to the only place where we have to take us. And he recognized what the psalmist says in Psalm 121. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And the Lord is so gracious to hear such cries. Oh, Lord, how long we need you. As one explains, he loves to bring the glimmers of dawn after the darkest of nights. There's always hope with him. That's why we press on. That's why we don't give up. That's why even though we can feel weary, we need to come back and realize that Christ is everything. That the gospel is the power of God. And that just as God has worked in the past and even in glimpses that we have seen, you know, we shall reap 
if we don't lose heart. You know, the measure of that is in the Lord's hands. He will always do what is pleasing to him. Praise be to his name. And all glory be to his name. That's not our concern. Our concern is to be faithful, to trust him. You know, and as we look at our own hearts, as I look at mine and our own lives, or we look at the church and we're moved to ask, how long, Lord? Why, Lord? We're brought back to the battle to trust him, to believe his promises, to rest in his timing, and to not grow weary in doing the things that he has given us to do. Our labor in the Lord is never in vain, my dear friends. There'll be some who say that it is, but it's not. In the good times, in the difficult times, we must never give up. We must be faithful. And it's easy. The challenge is there. That's why the exhortation is there. It's easy for us to become weary, easy for us to lose hope. But friend, we must be resolved not to do that to look to our God who supplies our strength and who assures us that in his time we will reap if we do not lose heart. And so what are we to do? Well, we're to get on with proclaiming the truth, the message of the cross of Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God. We must continue to be faithful, faithful to the scripture in all of our proclamation, even, you know, with those around who want to throw their grenades and all the rest amongst us. You know, we continue to be faithful to the gospel and faithful in our witness in order that the Holy Spirit would take that truth and awaken hearts by the divine miracle of grace. We must not faint, but trust and pray and serve and hope. And who can say what 2024 will bring for us? And whether the Lord comes, whether he comes in great blessing, whatever he does, it is his prerogative. We serve not just for outcomes. We serve because we love and because he's worthy. And we're faithful because Christ is the one who has captured our hearts and he's on the throne of our hearts. And for us here and for all the, the churches of Cornwall and to the ends of the earth, Christ holds the key. He is head of this church. He is central in all that we do. You know, and there'll be many who might look at places like this and tend to think that people like me or places like this got little prospect of doing anything significant for God. And no doubt, you know, there are many who would think that of here. But our gracious God isn't looking for the strong or the powerful or the mighty as if he needs them. No, the reverse is the case. He's looking for the weak and the frail and the dependent so that through them he may demonstrate his strength and get for himself great glory. And when we are at our least, God is at his greatest. And so, my dear friends, as I close, I encourage you, let us not be weary in well-doing, but let us believe our great God and hope against hope, and plead with him to come and to help us. Because he has said that we shall reap if we don't lose heart, but in his time. So where are the faithful today? Where will they be? I pray that there will be many found here at Clarence Street and in the gospel churches that are represented today. Those who in the good times and the challenging times 
Don't grow weary of pleasing the Lord and staying faithful to his word. Because ultimately, we're aiming not for man's applause. We're aiming to please our master. And what is the thing that my heart longs for? And maybe yours too? Well done, good and faithful servant. That's it. That is the motivation of my heart. And I pray that it will be the motivation of yours because he is worthy. And so don't be weary, my friends. Be taken up with him. Keep pressing on. And may God be pleased to have his hand upon us in the year ahead and all to his praise. Amen.